Thanks so much, Pauline, for reading that passage for us. Let's pray as we, uh, as we come to God's word together. Father, as we come now to think about this passage, about the death of Jesus, what that means for us, I pray that you would unveil the eyes of our hearts so that we might behold the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ crucified, that we might put our trust in him alone. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. In this bruising world, we are constantly having to prove ourselves. You want a job, you have to submit your CV, listing your qualifications, your accomplishments and experiences. Your CV is your performance record and you submit it in the hope that doors will open for you, in this case employment opportunities. You're saying to your prospective employer, I'm worthy, (laughs) accept me. Even once you have the job, you're still constantly having to prove yourself meeting and exceeding performance targets to show that you're worthy of keeping your job rather than hiring someone else to replace you. Or if you want to do some kind of further study, whether that's A-levels or a college course, it has its minimum academic requirements for admission. So you submit your academic performance record, list your qualifications, saying to the institution, I'm worthy, accept me. And if your record is good enough, you will be accepted. But if it's not, you're not. That is just how the world works. It's true, even in some kind of relationships, if you search online for dating tips, you find all kinds of advice on how to get someone to love and accept you, and then even more advice on how to make sure that person keeps loving and accepting you. Try this look to make yourself more attractive. Try these conversation tactics to make yourself seem more charismatic and appealing. Change your body, fix your personality, get this gadget, and you'll be worthy and acceptable. That's the relentless drive of advertising and social media. All of which means that we are constantly asking ourselves these questions. Am I good enough? Have I done enough? Those questions haunt some of us. They drive others of us to strive and achieve. Most of us, they just exhaust into a difference and despair. But because that is the way the world works, every single culture also assumes naturally that it's the same with God, including us. Our default assumption is that we get a spiritual connection with God by submitting a performance record, our spiritual CV. And so we need to work hard to develop a a righteousness of our own. And if we're good enough, we'll be accepted. That's how most of us naturally assume things work. So we get to work on our spiritual CV. We hope that it will open the doors to God's kingdom. We work hard at church attendance or religious observance or moral improvement. 
And we end up asking ourselves exactly the same questions. Am I good enough? Have I done enough? But you may be here thinking, I'm not really religious. Maybe I was once, but not really anymore. So I'm not really into all this righteousness stuff. I don't need that. But here's the thing. You may not be seeking righteousness in a religious way, but we are, all of us, every single human being, we're all seeking righteousness. Or to put it another way, we're looking for justification. In English, I know those two words look like they're totally unrelated, but they're describing exactly the same concept. To be righteous is to be justified. Same thing, to be justified is to be declared righteous. And even non-religious, secular people are searching for justification, for righteousness. If you've seen the film Chariots of Fire, Harold Abrahams, he's competing in the 100 meters, and he says this. He says, I will raise my eyes and look down the corridor four feet wide with 10 lonely seconds to justify my whole existence. Winning that race is what makes his life mean something. That, that means he's worthy of being accepted, that makes him feel validated, that means he's done enough. And every single human being is looking for that somewhere in something. It might be from a relationship or from your children. It might be from a job or some academic achievement. It may even be from a ministry at church. For most of us, actually, we look to lots of different things and we constantly shift our weight depending on how things are going. That's how we work. But here's the problem. None of those things can actually justify you. You only need to ask the people who actually succeeded. Once they finally got the thing they wanted, after all the celebrations, after all the acclaim, after all the pats on the back, It was hollow, didn't actually justify them, their existence in this world. That there's nothing in this world that can give us the righteousness that we so desperately crave. Because deep down, whether we realize it or not, we were made to hear God's verdict of righteousness on our lives. We were made to feel and to be accepted and welcomed by him. And anything else that you look to for your justification will either crush you or be crushed by you. No relationship, none of your children is able to bear the weight of justifying your whole existence. And so our hearts will always be restless until we find rest in being justified, made right with the God who made us and loves us. But therein lies the even bigger problem. Because by nature, we are not right with the God who made us. If you, uh, if you know this letter to the Romans at all, you'll know that the writer, a man called the Apostle Paul, he spent the previous two chapters hammering home that truth that none of us are right with God. 
None of us, whether Jew or Gentile, black or white, rich or poor, good or bad, religious or irreligious, moral or immoral, none of us is able to present a a record of achievement to God. That means we can be accepted. Verse 10, look at it with me. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. That's what we heard in Psalm 130, isn't it? If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, who could stand? That's true, actually, even if we measure ourselves by our own standards. Forget God's standards for a minute. If we just measure ourselves by our own standards. And even if you like to think of yourself as a a pretty decent person, if you're willing to be honest with yourself for a moment and look back over the last week, we all know there are moments where we could and should have been better just by our own standards. As Paul puts it in verse 23, his summary, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us have sinned and continue to sin every single day. And our wrong actions and thoughts, they are the symptoms of the sin that lurks deep within our hearts. Because deep down, we don't love the glory of God. We love the glory of ourselves. So we've lived our lives as if they were ours, without reference to God. And if we have thought about God... Even our very best religious activity has only been designed to lever his favor, to put God in our debt, to make him owe us. Even religion can be deeply self-centered. And so there is no difference. No distinction between any person here or out there. All have sinned. And fall short of the glory of God. Before God, the ground is level. I I know that we've all sinned in different ways. And in the eyes of our society, some of those sins are more respectable than others. In the eyes of the law, we're viewed differently. In the eyes of other people, we're viewed differently. But in the eyes of God, we are all the same. No difference. All have sinned. All have missed the mark of the glory we were made for. And because we live in a world where God is judge, we will all give an account to him, verse 19. And our sin will provoke his righteous wrath. That's what we've heard over the last few weeks if you've been with us in 2 Peter. Again this morning, the day of the Lord will come. The day of judgment is coming. That's what makes this passage so important because by ourselves, we're not right with God. And judgment is coming. So how can we get right with this God? Well, the answer is there in verse 21. But now. But now. Right here in these words that we're about to look at. Something else other than our sin and God's wrath is being revealed. And as we approach Good Friday this coming week, these words in Romans 3, they take us to the reason why Jesus died. Why Good Friday is good. They take us to the heart of the gospel. 
These words here in Romans 3, they're some of the most important words in the whole Bible. So much so, can I say, if you don't understand what's going on here, even at just a basic level, you don't know what it is to be a Christian. But there's more because if as a Christian, you understand up here what's going on in these verses, but you don't live every day in light of it. If you don't wander in here at what's being described, your Christian life will be joyless and miserable. So there's a lot going on here. We're going to look at it together, but I just want you to know as we dive into it, there's not much practical stuff here. I'm not going to give you a list of things to do as you go home. That's good news because this passage is explaining to us how we can be made right with God through Jesus. It is not about what we do, but what God has done. And in that, we find our eternal joy and security. So we're going to see three things. God freely justifies through Christ's blood all who have faith in him. So the first one, God freely justifies. Verse 21, but now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus. This but now, it introduces us to God's action. Paul does not say, but now there are some people who will be okay. But now there are some people who are good enough to be justified before God. But now there are a few, a handful perhaps of moral upright people who've done enough. No, not our action, but God's. It is the righteousness of God that is being revealed and not just revealed, given. And we need this because the message of our society is that our biggest problem is out there. Our circumstances, our environment and the solution is found in here. Looking inside, finding our true selves, releasing our inner potential, satisfying our inner desires. But the Bible says the opposite. Actually, our biggest problem is in here, our hearts. That's the origin of every sinful word, thought, action, and attitude. And so the solution is not going to be found in here, but out there, outside of us, in God doing something for us. And so this but now it's an interruption that comes from God giving grace from above. In other words, it's a gift. It's a gift. It is, verse 24, given freely by his grace. That means that we are not entitled to it. It means that we can't earn it or deserve it or work for it. It can only be given and received freely. It's God's free gift to the undeserving for the unlovely. 
even for the ungodly. Martin Luther said about this passage, God receives none but those who are forsaken. Restores health to none but those who are sick. Gives sight to none but the blind. Life to none but the dead. He does not give righteousness to any but sinners. Nor wisdom to any but fools. In short, he has mercy on none but the wretched. And gives grace to none but those who are in disgrace. If you're here this morning and you think of yourself as healthy, seeing, living, wise, this isn't for you. But if you know that you're sick with sin, blind to the glory of Christ, dead in your trespasses and sins, in need of mercy and grace. It's for you. For free. So what is this gift that God gives? It is, verse 22, righteousness. Verse 24, justification. Remember those two words, they are the same. They're describing the same concept. To be justified is to be declared righteous. And so what God does is he takes those of us, us, who have sinned and fallen short, who are unrighteous and ungodly, and without any change in us, gives us the status righteous and justified. So God does not justify us by transforming us into better people capable of being righteous. He does not justify us by turning us into the kind of people who could do enough to earn justification. He does not justify us by changing us into the kind of people who can cooperate with him and with a bit of help justify themselves. No. God pronounces a verdict. Righteous. It's not a transformation, it's a declaration. And so Paul is taking us into the courtroom. Let's say you've been caught speeding on Queen's Drive. Some of you don't have to imagine that. But let's imagine this is not your first time. And so rather than a few points and a fine, you're summoned to court. But before the day of your court hearing, you receive a letter from the judge in the post. As you open the letter, you read it, it's from the judge. It tells you that when you turn up to court, you will be found not guilty. The letter says you should still come. But that when you get there, that's the verdict from the judge that will be announced not guilty innocent of wrongdoing, justified. It's a declaration of your legal status. And sure enough, when the day comes, that is what happens. You stand before the judge and you're justified. Now, when we think of justification, we usually think particularly of forgiveness so you, you may have heard the, the little phrase, justification is just as if I'd never sinned. 
which is a nice wordplay, but unfortunately it doesn't quite capture the depth of what justification really means. Justification includes forgiveness. It's not less than that, but it is more. Because forgiveness is primarily negative, isn't it? If you're forgiven, you do not suffer the punishment you deserve. In the courtroom, you're declared not guilty. And the judge says, you may go. You're free. You're free from condemnation. You won't be going to jail. And when it comes to God, that is very good news for sinners like us who deserve hell. But justification is even more than that because justification says not just you may go. With justification, with God, the judge says, you may come. You're given a legal status and the rights and privileges that come with that. So it's as if the judge not only spares you jail, but awards you the freedom of the city of Liverpool. Justification is not simply that your slate is wiped clean only for you to be able to mess it up again. That's what we would do. It's so much more than that. It is a perfect record. Jesus' own perfect spotless righteousness given to you. And so, in a sense, it is just as if I'd never sinned, but it's more than that. It's just as if I'd always done the right thing. It's just as if I'd always perfectly obeyed, which is what Jesus did. On the cross, Jesus is treated as you deserve, but now you are treated as he deserves, and he deserves everything. So if you trust in Jesus this morning, you are justified. The judge has already sent the letter. You are righteous in God's sight. The declaration has already been made. And so it's true that in the Christian life, we become more like Christ. Praise God. But we never become more or less justified. Because your justification doesn't come in installments. It doesn't increase or decrease depending on your performance. Your justification does not depend on your record, but on Christ's. His perfect righteousness given to you as a free gift. So in ourselves, we're still people who've sinned and fallen short. But in Christ, we're given new clothes to wear. We are at the same time both sinners in ourselves and righteous in Christ. If you've received that free gift, you are accepted in God's sight. And nothing you do can make you more or less accepted. I hope you can see how understanding this becomes the essential foundation for living the Christian life day to day. 
Because without this, the Christian life is like a yo-yo. We swing from joy and excitement to guilt and despair. One day you're feeling up because you got up early to read your Bible and pray. But then the next day you're down because you sinned before breakfast and you couldn't even bring yourself to face the Lord and admit it. Yo-yoing in and out of his favor based on what you do. That's how, many, that's how many of us actually live the Christian life. And it's because you've forgotten this. You've forgotten your justification. One symptom of that, if you feel threatened when your sin gets called out, it's because you've forgotten your justification because Our own personal failings, they threaten our performance record. And it makes us brittle and defensive. Because you've forgotten your justification. Your justification is not based on what you do. It is not based on your performance at all. Your justification does not increase when you obey. It does not decrease when you sin. It is the same every day because Christ is the same. Yesterday, today, and forever. And when you get that, when you really get that, you can receive correction and rebuke without defensiveness. Because your sin doesn't change your status before God. It frees you to be able to repent honestly and without excuse. As you grasp that, it becomes the root of joy and peace. That was Martin Luther's discovery that led to the Reformation. As a monk, he was soothingly reassured by a renowned theologian of his time that God does not deny grace to those who try their best. That's what he was told. God will not deny grace to those who try their best. But unsurprisingly, that gave him no joy and no peace. It only made him even more anxious had he done his best. If God only gives grace to those who try their best, we are all in deep trouble. Because most of the time, I don't. And neither do you. The verdict, even on our best performance, is already in. Sinned and fallen short. We have no hope of ever being able to justify ourselves. God's free gift is our only hope. And the good news of justification is that God does not deal with you according to your performance at all whether you tried your best or you didn't it doesn't matter God deals with you according to Christ's performance and his is perfect that obviously raises a big question for us doesn't it how on earth can God actually do that (laughs) how on earth can God do that and the answer is number two through Christ's blood. It's a good question to ask, isn't it? How is it that God can say, declare, that 
guilty sinners are in fact righteous. Surely we ought to be charging God with perversion of the course of justice. But as Paul explains in verses 24 and 25, we find the answer at the cross of Jesus. As we approach Good Friday, these verses tell us why Jesus died, what the cross accomplishes, why Good Friday is good. Now these, these two verses, they're packed with more calories than a box of Krispy Kreme donuts. I don't want us to get too caught up in all the technical details and lose the wood for the trees. We're going to move quite quickly through them. If you've got questions, come and find me afterwards. The first part there is in verse 24. We're justified through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. And so Paul has taken us from the law court into the marketplace. That's where we are now in the market. Redemption is the language of payment. Paying the price to set someone free. And on the cross, that is what Jesus did. Setting us free from the penalty and power of our sin. And then in verse 25, we're given a second picture. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement. Your Bible might say propitiation through the shedding of his blood. We've moved now from the marketplace to the temple where animal sacrifices are made. As we put those two pictures together, what we're seeing is this. Jesus' blood shed on the cross paid the price for our debt of sin. He died so we could be set free, redeemed. He paid so you wouldn't have to. And on the cross, Jesus bore the punishment that we deserved. He released us from the death penalty that our sin deserves by taking the death penalty on himself. He bore the the wrath of God that our sin deserves. He died in our place instead of us. We're going to sing this song at the end. Uh, in Christ alone. And one of the verses says this, till on that cross, as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. How? Because every sin on him was laid. And so here in the death of Christ, I live. The cross is the great exchange. Jesus takes all your sin, your debt, your death, your curse on himself. And he drowns it to death in his blood. And he gives you all that is his in exchange. His righteousness, his status, his life, his blessedness, yours in Christ. The cross then is the self-substitution of God. God takes our place. God bears his own divine wrath in the person of the Son. And so this is no perversion of justice. In fact, the opposite. 
The cross is the demonstration and the revelation of God's justice, verse 26. Because at the cross, sin is not just swept under the carpet. That would be unjust. But in, his, in Christ's death on the cross, sin gets the punishment that it deserves. God is just. And the justifier of those who trust in Jesus. And so God righteously gives righteousness to the unrighteous. Which leaves just one last question. How do we get it? How do we get it? And the answer to that is for all who have faith in him. This runs all the way through the passage. Verse 22, this righteousness is given through faith in Christ Jesus to all who believe. Same word. Verse 25, God presented Christ the sacrifice of atonement to be received by faith. Verse 26, he did it to demonstrate his righteousness, to be just, and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. So here's how the passage works. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but all can be justified freely by his grace because it's given to all who believe. Listen, you do fall short of the glory of God but you do not fall short of the grace of God. And you can receive his grace right now because this free gift, it is not for those who deserve it. It's not given to those who think they can earn it. It's given to those who believe. That means it's open to everyone, everyone without distinction is invited to receive Christ in exactly the same way, through faith in him. But what is faith? Let me start with what it's not, just very quickly. Faith is not the same as coming to church. Being here does not make you a Christian any more than me being at Goodis on a Monday night makes me a professional footballer. Nor is faith being a nice person or a moral person, or a religious person. In fact, it may be that clinging to those things is the very thing that's keeping you from actually trusting Jesus. Faith is none of those things. Faith is empty hands that receive Christ. Faith is saying to Jesus, yeah, I want you. And faith brings absolutely nothing else to the table. Real faith receives, it does not contribute. And the moment you think you can bring something, you can't receive it. God only gives to those who know they don't deserve it. And so faith is not a work that makes you better than anyone else. It's just empty hands that take hold of Christ. And the good news of that is that it doesn't mean, it doesn't matter how strong or weak your faith feels to you. The strength of your faith is not what matters, but the strength of the Savior that you receive. Faith 
then as Paul explains in the next little section, it's the opposite of self-confidence. It's confidence in Christ because you have two choices. You either trust Jesus or you trust yourself. You either trust in what Jesus has done or what you do. Christ confidence or self-confidence. If you're not a Christian here this morning or you're tuning on online with us, please can I urge you, get right with God. Today. Know the blessing of justification. Set aside every ounce of confidence in yourself or whatever it is that you're trusting in and put it all on Jesus. And if you're a Christian, remember this truth. You are justified. Not by what you do, but by what Christ has done. Because God freely justifies through Christ's blood all who have faith in him but only those who have faith in him. Let's pray. To the one who does not work, but trusts God, who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. Father, we know that we have sinned and fallen short. That we cannot justify ourselves. And Lord, what's more, we ask for your forgiveness for the times when we've tried to. We thank you so much for your free gift of grace, of righteousness to the unrighteous through Christ. And Lord, we want to pray that you would help us to put all our trust in Christ, not in ourselves or our own performance, but to rest in what Jesus has done. Help us, Lord, to live in light of it every single day, rejoicing in our justification. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.